0: my name's Joshua. Um, I pastor here at Hillsborough Village. If this is your first time here, man, I'm so glad you're here. I hope you feel uh, warmly welcomed into this space. Also, it's just good to see a full church, man. We've recovered from Thanksgiving, all of our students that are back for one week, and then you're gone for Christmas. Gonna miss you, already missed you, gonna miss you again. Love you. Um, Hey, a few few important announcements for you guys um, as you settle in. For the next three Sundays, you need to know these things. Um, Next week, We have a candlelight gathering at 5 p.m. at the cannery. So we won't have a nine o'clock or an 11 o'clock here. So no one's gathering here next week. If you have a friend that loves the Ruby or some reason told you today, hey, can't come this week, but for the very first time, I'm coming to the Ruby next week. Tell them, don't do that, all right? Because we're not gonna be here. So please remember, next week, cannery, 5 p.m. If you're the kind of person that goes, oh, we can't go to Ruby, I'm not gonna go. I would just encourage you, you should go. You should definitely go to the cannery at five. We have a little annual Christmas tradition. We light candles. We think about the story of Jesus. We worship together. And there's just something about a lot of candles being lit. I don't know what it is. So I don't know if it's the danger of having a bunch of candles lit in a building. It's just exhilarating. I'm kidding. But it's very peaceful. It's very worshipful. And it's a good, it's a good thing to go to. So um, I'm gonna be there. We're gonna be there holding it down. So come, come next week to the cannery. And then uh, for December 26th, in January 2nd, um, we're gonna have at-home gatherings uh, available to you. So we'll have worship gatherings with worship and teaching available to you online. So if on December 26th, that Sunday or January 2nd, you're with family or friends, what we would say, we would encourage you, um, man, have church in your living room. Um, that can actually be a really special space to draw near to God. Like, I, I don't know if you've got friends or family that you're like, man, I wish I could pray with my family, like I pray with my friends, or I wish I could pray with my friends, like I pray with my small group and, and these two Sundays could really be open doors for you to kind of test the waters out and just invite your family and friends. Hey, I'm gonna sit on the couch in my PJs and I'm gonna worship God and I'm gonna learn about the, I'm gonna learn from the word and feel free to join me in your jammies with some coffee. You know, like, I don't know why I'm stuck on jammies. Uh, I don't wear those, um, but I do have great respect for them. So anyway, all right. <clears throat> We're in the middle of Advent. All right. A tradition I did not grow up in. So if you did not grow up in it, me neither. But what Advent is, it's a word that just means arrival. And Christian churches around Christmas time, we think about the arrival of Jesus in two ways. One, that he came the first time. So the nativity scenes in front yards, the Christmas cards you get in the mail, you see Jesus as a little baby and some wise men. That's what we're remembering. When you hear joy to the world, the Lord has come, like Jesus came, so Advent, spend four straight weeks surrounding words, hope, peace, joy, love, and we focus on celebrating that Christ came. He really came. He said he would come and he did, but that's just half of the story. The second half is anticipating that Christ will return again. The same way that he came to earth the first time, he will come back to earth the second time and he will make all things right and there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And that is the reality for Christians and so that's kind of what we're in the middle of. And we light candles. And honestly, I need to study Advent more, man. I, I was telling my staff before the worship guys, I was like, I need to learn more and more about Advent. I, I know the candles like are a symbol for the words that we're celebrating. But that's all I really know about it. So anyway, enjoy the candles. Think about hope, joy, and peace today, okay? I'm kidding. <laughs> I get mad at you. Okay, focus. All right. Um, today we're talking about joy. And uh, you know, I, I didn't realize this. I had to have a kind of DTR with joy this week, define the relationship. Because for me, growing up, I don't think I've really ever liked that word very much. I don't know why, because joy is a pretty happy word in its nature, right? Uh, But to me, for some reason, I always thought it came across as shallow, and maybe it's just because of my experience. To me, I think I grew up thinking joy just meant, hey, smile, Christian, you sad? Well, smile, God. You know, so just be happy, all right? Chill out, you know, Jesus, like be happy, you know? And that always felt like it missed the mark for me. Like, wait a minute, I'm sad though, right? Like some seasons, I'm just kind of frustrated. So how does that work? You know, the joy, the joy, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Yeah, it's my strength when I feel strong. You know, that's what I feel joy. But otherwise, I think I had a pretty limited understanding of it. Like I think about this thing I'd go to every year and uh, it's called the living Christmas tree. You ever heard of that? This thing's wild, y'all, get ready. It's a church tradition that I had uh, at the church I went to. I actually played baby Jesus in the Christmas play. Yeah, you didn't know that? Oh, baby, I should have told you that already. Love you, sorry. Um, I think there's pictures, they're crazy. Anyway, so three-year-old me, baby Jesus, there I am. All right, but anyway, this living Christmas tree, guys. All right, just picture this. Higher ceilings than this. There's like a 40-foot fake tree. There's a staircase up the side. There's rows in the tree. And a choir would, do you know it? You're picturing it. We're good. We'll talk later. No way. I'm guessing they did it first. Anyway, so we filled the, it's like church choir would fill this massive Christmas tree, like 60 adults. Christmas lights come on and they just start singing, joy to the world. And they're smiling so big the whole time. And it's beautiful because it's Christmas and it's festive. But when I thought about joy, that's what I think about that living Christmas tree. But I'm like, what are you doing? It's not Christmas though. You know, and joy doesn't quite hit the same. And so today I want to talk about joy according to scripture. I want to give us a truer understanding of what joy is. Because I think sometimes what I've done at least is I've confused joy and happiness. I've made that the same thing, right? Whereas happiness is a little bit more emotional. It's more tied to circumstance. Happiness happens when a desired outcome happens in your life, you're happy, right? It's kind of tied to what's going on in your life personally. But joy, joy stands outside of that. It's a perspective that's rooted in eternity. Right? I don't know if you've ever seen like a ghost movie or something, or like an outer body experience on a movie where like someone like leaves their body and like comes above everything and like can like see the whole thing happening. You know what I'm talking about? That's kind of a weird thing. If you, if you don't know, don't worry about it. But anyway, joy kind of does that. If this is your life, joy, it, it comes above your life and has a much deeper perspective than what's going on down here, right? That wasn't even worth it. I'm not even gonna say that at the 11 o'clock. That was terrible. Anyway, I was looking it up on the Bible Project, and uh, watch this like four-minute YouTube video, What's Joy According to Scripture? And they, re- they had this definition that I loved. It's not quite a definition. It says, the joy of God's people is not determined by their present circumstance, but by their future destiny, all right? So joy is not rooted in what's happening right now, what may or may not happen in the near future, but what will certainly happen in the destiny of all believers. That's joy. And so biblical joy, it exists outside of anything going on in your life, all right? And so I want to discover today, or maybe rediscover for some of you, what joy is according to Scripture. And I'm going to follow a pattern that might be familiar to you if you've been with us for a few months. But we're going to first look at the Old Testament, and we're going to look at the nation of Israel. Then we're going to move on to Jesus himself, shocker. We're going to let him talk to us about joy a little bit. And then we're gonna look at the the apostles and the disciples after Jesus ascended into heaven. And that's gonna connect us to kind of our reality here as we anticipate Jesus' second arrival. And I'm just gonna be transparent here. I'm pretty jacked up about this teaching. I'm hyped. I'm I'm sitting on the stool so I don't talk too fast and go too hard, all right? But I'm not gonna sit here the whole time. There's just no chance. All right, so if you've got a Bible, turn to Psalm 105. If you use your phone, pull that phone out. I want you to read these. I got three scriptures I'm gonna have you turn to today. I really want you to turn there today. So be motivated, get to them. Psalm 105. If you, just, if you don't know where Psalm is, close your Bible, put your thumb in the middle of scripture and you'll probably open to Psalm, all right? Psalm 105, we're gonna read verses 40 through 45. All right. I'm not even there yet, okay. This is about the people of Israel when they came out of Egypt. It says, they asked and God brought quail and gave them bread from heaven in abundance. He opened the rock and water gushed out. It flowed through the desert like a river for he remembered his holy promise and Abraham his servant. So he brought his people out with joy. His chosen ones with singing. He gave them the lands of the nations. They took possession of the fruit of the people's toil, that they might keep his statutes and observe his laws. Praise the Lord. So this is a story of Israel, their journey out of Egypt, out of slavery. And if you want to find this in Exodus, check out Exodus chapter seven through Exodus 15. But verse 43 in this Psalm 105, it says, "'He brought them out with joy.'" And so joy starts for the people of Israel, much like Advent starts. Advent starts with us celebrating what God has done, and that's where joy starts for Israel. They're celebrating, they have joy in their heart because God has delivered them from slavery, all right? They were in Egypt for 400 years. Imagine being a kid in this circumstance, one thing you know is certain, there is a man to be feared and his name is Pharaoh and what he says goes and you are under his rule and authority no matter what you want to do about it. Imagine growing up this way, like as a kid growing up going, oh, my dad could beat up anybody else's dad. You know what I'm saying? That just foolish belief in your parents to overcome anybody else's parents But even then you go, my dad can beat up anybody's dad, but he definitely can't take down Pharaoh. That's not happening. We're definitely gonna chill in Egypt as slaves forever. And any hope of freedom felt foolish. It felt like a pipe dream. When that's all you know, freedom is a fairy tale. It sounds good. And it's fun to let your mind escape there. But at some point you have to come back to reality. But then God, God does something different. He sends Moses 10 plagues. He wrestles the people of Israel out of this authoritative regime of Egypt. It's powerful. I don't have time to get into this right now, but each plague is a judgment on different false gods that Pharaoh worships. That story gets more and more beautiful. I can't even, okay, move on. All right. The Israelites watch God obliterate Dominate a power that they did not think could be shaken. Effortlessly, God delivers his people out of Egypt. And the people of Egypt, they leave. And no longer are they this fearful, cowardly, scared people group. Imagine them, cocky, their chest is puffed out. They're like, man, I always knew God would come through. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, you know that confidence you get? Like, I started thinking about. Whenever you take a test that you know you're gonna fail and then somehow you make a B on it and you're like, I figured it out. This is my future destiny right here. I'm not failing something again. Or you nervously ask the girl out. She gives you her number and everything and, you're like, and you go back to your boys. Man, I knew I had that in the bag. I always knew that's how it was gonna go. Like it's, this is easy money. I thought about when you leave the mall with a new outfit, man. How confident are you when you leave the mall with a new outfit? I'm not just talking to girls, I'm talking to me. (laughs) Like, Like, man, Belmont is not ready for January. Nordstrom had a good deal for me, not even Nordstrom Rack. I got this from Nordstrom. I paid $150 for a sweater. Things are changing today. I'm confident, you know what I mean? Those are some really bad examples for what the Israelites were feeling as they left Egypt. But all of a sudden, Egypt, they go from this people group oppressed by Pharaoh, knowing that their future is slavery, And they'd heard the stories, their parents, their grandparents, they passed down stories of freedom, but they never lived freedom until God delivered them. And they realized, oh my goodness, my God lives so far outside of my present lot. He lives so far outside of my present circumstance. His power supersedes the greatest power I thought existed. And it wasn't even close and it totally shifts their perspective, and they leave Israel, according to Psalms, rejoicing. God had overcome the greatest power they'd ever seen, so powerful it took four centuries, of crying and praying for God to respond and deliver them into freedom. But something that's crucial here, they're not just celebrating that God has delivered them from Egypt. Verse 42, says, in Psalm 105, says, "'God remembered his holy promise, And Abraham, in Genesis chapter 15, God told Abraham, your people, they will suffer, but I will deliver them and I will get them to a land. where they will have great possessions. In other words, they will have abundance. He's not just gonna arrive and save them from something. He's going to deliver them to a new reality. They're not just leaving slavery. They are entering a promise. In Exodus chapter three, God's talking to Moses. He clarifies, he gets more specific. What's that promise says it's gonna be a land that flows with milk and honey. And growing up, I was like, why does it even sound good? I don't wanna walk around stepping in honey, (laughs) you know? So obviously it doesn't mean literally they're ankle deep in milk and honey. They didn't hit it all. All right. (laughs) All that meant was they're gonna enter into a land of abundance, of freedom, independence, their own economy, vegetation, food to feed their families, their kids. They can grow their nation. God is going to lead them into freedom. And when you're in Egypt, that's a pipe dream. But when God has just parted a sea and you walked across on dry land, all of a sudden your confidence in what God is able to do has shifted tremendously. So they're going, if he did that, He's definitely gonna do that. And so they leave singing, rejoicing what God has done. But what God has done has fueled their confidence to believe deeply within their soul what God will do, right? That's kind of Advent in a nutshell. That's the Old Testament version of Advent. Go on, look what he did and look what he's about to do. And my confidence in what he's going to do is just the same as my confidence in what he already did. It's the same thing, right? All right, so that's the, that's the Old Testament version. That's the people of Israel. We could have spent a whole hour there, but we're gonna move on. We gotta to get to Jesus, right? So what's he gonna say about this? Because there's a new version of Advent for us. God doesn't long to just deliver us from a land of Egypt. He longs to free our souls from sin. He wants to take us to the soul's promised land. Isaiah 53:12 says this. This is a prophecy about Jesus. He poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Jesus was not a transgressor, but he became one. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So prophecy promises Jesus will live perfectly, but he will take on all of our sin for the sake of the sinner to take on uh, Christ's righteousness. The most unfair of trades completely in our favor, that's the promise of Jesus. A perfect God looking at an imperfect people, seeing an infinite chasm between him and his creation and saying, I will take care of this. I will handle this. So right now, turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter five. We're gonna look at verses 11 through 12 because this gives us a new perspective on how we live life that Jesus came and dealt with our sin and that he will come back changes everything. And I want to zoom into Matthew chapter five. This passage is insane, you guys. Oof. all right. We're going to read verses 11 through 12. I'm going to mute and I'm going to cough. Resume. All right. Verses 11 through 12. Jesus says this. Blessed are you, when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you." All right, so Jesus is about to help us understand where our source of deep joy that lives outside of circumstances comes from. Now remember, the joy of God's people is not determined by their present circumstance, but by their future destiny, okay? So we're gonna go verse by verse. We're gonna look at verse 11 for a second. He says, blessed are you when people revile, persecute, utter all kinds of evil. Let me define some of these for you. Revile you. He says, blessed are you when people criticize you to such an extent that it becomes abusive, okay? So blessed are you when people verbally abuse you, all right? That's important, it's not just they're calling you names, they're abusing you, okay? Secondly, that they persecute you. Blessed are you when people actively, with joy, with not joy, with happiness in their hearts, seek your downfall. They criticize you, they hurt you, they make you feel pain, they make you feel sad, that you feel defeated. It's basically Twitter, but in real life, blessed are you when people gun for you, when they rejoice at your downfall, when they persecute you, right? To be clear, this is not fun. Don't let the blessed are you fool you. I'm describing terrible things right now, okay? Then he comes to a third thing. Blessed are you when they utter false words against you on my account. Let me pause there. Have you ever been gossiped about? And let's not even get to someone lied about you. Has anyone ever gossiped the truth about you? You ever had a friend air your dirty laundry and they weren't even lying and it stings so bad? Like, hey, man, I told you that when we were friends. I know we're not anymore, but like, chill out. What the heck? A pact is a pact. We spit shake, you know? Like, don't do that. (laughs) I hate feeling out of control. And when I get gossiped about, I feel so out of control. It breaks my heart. But then Jesus takes it further. He goes, they don't just gossip about you. They gossip and they're lying. It's not even true. Have you ever had to defend yourself? To a group of people that believe something about you that's not true? Maybe you haven't. Bless you. I have. I remember sitting down with someone who had heard something about me, don't know what they heard, but they made it clear to me that one, they did not like me. At least they took me out to coffee to tell me it. <laughs> they do not like me. And two, they are meeting with me to make sure I never do what I had not done, but they thought I had done again. And I remember sitting there, Hearing my character be attacked, feeling their disdain for my life, and knowing this is not rooted in reality. I've done plenty to mess up. I've hurt plenty of feelings, but the thing that you're bringing before me is not true. It hurts. It hurts really bad to be gossiped about, to be spoken falsely about. Jesus says what he's implying here if you're true to me, if you're loyal to me, if I've got your heart, if you live and you preach the gospel, the way I've commanded you, this will happen. People will hurt you, they will persecute you, they will lie about you, and they will enjoy it. And they will not be sorry. Their pain, their anger, their trauma, wherever it's coming from, they will happily unload it onto your character at your expense, and they'll be happy about it. That's gonna happen. Don't miss the weight of that, that's not fun. That breaks your heart. It's not fair. The world doesn't play fair. Neither does Jesus. Jesus just uses, he, wait, hold on. I was gonna say something beautiful there, but I couldn't figure out how to word it. He's unfair because he gives us too much grace, but I missed my chance. All right, let's move on. <laughs> anyway, um, all right. So when Jesus says these things, before we move to verse 12, where it gets kind of nice and we start thinking about the reward, we need to understand who's saying it. Jesus Was reviled. People abused Jesus. I think we get lost because it's Jesus and he's perfect and we know the crucifixion story, but think about his life. It helped me this week. I've never thought about Jesus as being abused, like in the same way that I think about a child being abused or an adult being abused, processing trauma from their parents or their friends. Jesus was abused, it was not his fault. They blindfold him they punch him, mock him. If you're the son of God, tell us who just punched you in the face and gave you a black eye and a bloody nose. They enjoyed it. Jesus was persecuted. He looked at people with love in his eyes as they looked back with malice. And they beat him. They hated him. They chased him out of towns. They were mean to him. Jesus was human. He felt that. He was also God coming for their salvation. So he really felt that. I forgot where I was, oh yeah. When he says, blessed are you if you have false words spoken about you. And Jesus was lied about And crowds, in droves, some that watched him heal. They came and instead of shouting his praise, they believed the lies and shouted crucifixion. Jesus, when he says those three things, reviled, persecuted, spoken falsely of, on a soul level, he knows exactly what that feels like all the pain and all the agony. And out of that, he says, rejoice, be glad for your reward is great in heaven. Little caveat, this rejoicing is a pure joy. It is not a, hey, rejoice like the Pharisees do where they sit on a pedestal of pride and thank God they're not like them. It's not that kind of joy. It's not the kind of joy that goes, God, thank you so much that I'm not a hater. Thank you so much that I'm not as cruel and evil and vindictive as those people. It's not one of those. It's the kind of joy that goes, I know where I belong and I pray they get to belong there too. I'm so rooted in heaven, right? That I pray that my prayer, it's that Father forgive them, they know not what they do, prayer. It's that kind of joy, all right? So my question, what is so great of a reward that Jesus can look us in the eye and say, when it all goes bad, and everyone hates you, and it's not even fair. It's not even based on what you have done. What is this reward? What is this thing so permanent that it exists outside of these circumstances? And the truth is the Christian faith centers on this. There is a reward so permanent and so substantial that it really does give you the stomach to handle life at its worst. The ultimate reward is life with God forever. And I think sometimes I feel the belief gap in myself and in my church and in just humans. It's hard to believe this, that we will see Jesus face to face, that heaven is more permanent than this right here. More permanent than my marriage is me and Jesus forever. And Jesus was so rooted in this that no amount of persecution can shake him. He left heaven to get here. He knows where he came from and he knows where he's headed and he knows the future. And it's so rich that he can endure this persecution. Revelation 22, three through five says, no longer... Will there be anything accursed but the throne of God and of the lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. They'll see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more and there will not be need for light of lamp or sun because the Lord God will be their light and he will reign forever and ever. What reward makes all of it worth it that we will be with God forever? And it's that simple. Like... And the reason we're not all like, yes, amen. Keep going, Josh. I can't wait for heaven. That's the belief gap I'm talking about. That's that place in our hearts. that's like, yeah, sounds nice. I don't know. Sometimes we're still kind of like in Egypt. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Pharaoh's pretty crazy. I hear you though. Sounds good. You know, Ah. but man, this is so real. And I don't even want to explain it. I just want you to know this is the hope of faith in Jesus. Guys, you die, you see Jesus. You die, you open your eyes, Jesus himself, looking right back at you. And for those that know God, you will have no request to undo your death. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself, okay. I started thinking about the criminal on the cross, that conversation he has with Jesus. Jesus, remember me, please. He sees something in Jesus. How Jesus is dying is telling him Jesus is the Messiah. Think about that already, anyway. He looks at Jesus, please remember me. And Jesus says, today, you'll be with me in paradise. And I thought about that man's life and how boring of a Hollywood movie it would be. His life just went wrong from the jump. I don't know what his parents were like, what his upbringing was like, but something about how he spent his time led him to to commit a crime so aggressive, so illegal, that they punished him to die naked in front of people, suffocating to death on a cross. This guy's life was so not worth living until about five seconds before he died. And then Jesus says, you'll be with me. And in my head, he's like, what'd you say? Dies, wakes up. (laughs) Yo, (laughs) hold up. (laughs) What? (laughs) You know, like what happened? And he enters paradise. And I just thought about how drastic that light switch was. That dude went from the saddest possible ending to his life to the best possible ending that any of us could hope for. That dude got life with Jesus at the buzzer. Everything he did was sending him to a life apart from God and right at the end Jesus goes, my grace is sufficient, see in a few minutes, for the rest of time. That's crazy and that's real, that story is so remarkable, that's grace. No matter what last night was for you, no matter what deep, dark secret you are holding to, look to Jesus, please remember me. And he goes, I will see you in heaven. Man, that's crazy. Do you know your life is not forever? It's not. A lot of the irrational fear we see in our world right now is because we don't understand. Death is not permanent. There is a reward. You will see Jesus face to face. And for those that believe in him, you will enter heaven and you will not want to go back. I promise you that. How does this impact our life now? Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 1 through 10. Wild. We're just going to turn up even more. <laughs> now we're going to join Paul, the apostle. He's got a testimony, man. He's crazy. He came to believe in Jesus and once he met Jesus, his, the trajectory of his life just completely changed. He starts just going crazy, living on mission. It's wild. As we read these words, listen to the words he uses because he's gonna state some words that are a part of his story, his testimony as he's evangelized and, and spread the gospel, all right? Verses one through 10, it says, working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you and in a day of salvation, I've helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, in hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, Labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity and knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as impostors. yet we are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. Paul has this perspective. Jesus came. He met him on the road. He comes to know Jesus. And he's so convinced of how real and true Jesus is that he begins living in the reality that Jesus will come back. And Paul says, whether he's coming back in 3,000 years or tomorrow, I will live as if he's coming back tomorrow. And he lives a life where everything changes about his goals. And when he says these words, beatings, calamity, hunger, all of that, is a lived experience. But what he knows about Jesus is so rich, it cannot touch his joy and it cannot touch his drive, it produces this evangelism, this selfless living. He says, yes, I've seen pain and hurt and hunger and beatings and shipwrecks and loss, but with a broken body and a broken heart, I can rejoice because I've also seen souls transfer from darkness to light. I've seen the eternity of moms and dads and kids totally shift and they will be in heaven and I will be there too. And all that I've suffered and endured will be a distant, fading memory. This is what joy does. This is what happens when you know what God has done and what God is going to do. It changes your life. I resist preaching this way. That's exactly what it does. When you know, when you believe deeply, this is not it. That the more permanent reality is God establishing his kingdom. Is Jesus reigning forever Y'all, this changes everything. This changes the way you walk into every single room that you're ever going to be in. Your coffee shop is not just your coffee shop. It's current and future children of God all around you. Your living room is no longer your living room. It is a sanctuary. Your classroom is no longer your classroom. It is an opportunity. When you're waiting to board that flight, you notice who's sitting around you going, who can I touch with glory today? I'm gonna see Jesus, I wonder if they will. Holy Spirit, what we got? When you have the joy of the Lord, it puts you on an adventure you never stop living on. Church, I never say that, but I said it. Church, it totally, totally can shift how you picture your alone time with God. When is the last time you sat with God and said, God, what we got? What's going on? What you got for me today? I'm gonna go ahead and start thinking about my schedule because I want glory to light the way. Oof, I want some good conversations today, Lord. I wanna bless people. You've given me this mouth. Look at it, just talking. Words coming out of it. Look at that. It functions so well. Will you use my mouth to bless the fire out of someone today? Yeah, use my mouth to testify of your goodness to my coworkers. Use my mouth to speak of the glory that I know I'm going to enter into. And Holy Spirit, will you use this broken body? Will you use this broken tongue to speak glory in such a way that I see salvation or that I at least help someone get there along the way? Guys, the joy of the Lord changes everything about how we walk. And it is not a feeling. It is not an emotion. It is a reality. Christ came. He will come back. And we have the power of the Spirit in us to take this joy that cannot be shaken. And Jesus has told us, commissioned us to go and spread that joy, that permanent infectious joy to everyone around us. Y'all, do you know, you don't know, you need to know the power you possess in the Holy Spirit of God. You possess power. And this isn't some motivational talk here. You possess it because Jesus said you do. He promised you that. When I leave, greater things are going to happen. I'm going to send my helper, my comforter. He's going to lead the way. The Holy Spirit has so much more for you than checking out the box of, did I read my Bible today? Guys, no, no, no. He has so much more for you than, I haven't been in church in a while. I better get back to it. God might judge me for that. So much more for you. You're a living, walking missionary in your city. If you believe in Jesus, you're a child of God and the Holy Spirit is in you. And he has such big plans for your life for your words, for your actions. If you wanna see your family come to salvation, start praying right now and don't stop until it happens. You wanna see your friends get saved, start praying for it right now, don't stop until it happens. And tell Jesus, I'm ready and willing to be a conduit however you want it. However I can play a part in their salvation, let me know. He wants to do that in you, do you know that? That's the bar. The bar is not your daily Bible reading. The bar is not the Bible app. The bar is not coming to Ruby. You don't gotta come back. The bar is saying, Jesus, to the ends of the earth, to the ends of the earth. You've given me a joy so real that it supersedes every circumstance. Yesterday, today, tomorrow, forever. Every earthly circumstance has to bow its knee to the greater joy that Christ, you've came once, you will come again. So what do we got today? Do we understand? Can you nod your head if you know you're a missionary? Can you nod your head if you know you're a missionary? All right, for those that don't, thank you for your honesty. Talk to God about that. Come back in three or four weeks and then we'll nod our head together. All right. (laughs) I really wanted to, all right, bye. Having said all of that, I'm back on the stool because I want to calm down. (laughs) I want to read verse 10 again because I want to make sure I'm not feeding a false understanding of joy that's more emotive and repeats that phrase. Smile, Christian, just do it. You got to, you're a Christian, right? Because that's not what it is. And Paul didn't think so either. Verse 10, it says, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. I think it's really important we understand this. Joy does not replace sorrow. Joy is not ignorant of pain and heartbreak. That's where we get broken. That's where at least where I get broken down. So I'm like, hey, I don't wanna have joy. I need to be sad right now. And I feel like God should be okay with that. God's totally cool with it. In fact, Paul is like, that's like his life basically, is always being sad and always having hope in heaven. It's like always what he's up to, right? And I started thinking, this is kind of a touchy subject here, but I want to tell my story. Um, and yeah, anyway, you'll see what I'm saying. Hold on. I started thinking about my grandmother. Her name is Granny Sue. Shout out, love you. And uh, hold on, I'm gonna. I I might cry. My grandma was awesome. She's like my best. She was my. She was one of my my OGs. She was. Me and her were really tight. And uh, loved her. She had ovarian cancer for like 11 years, which is six years longer than you're supposed to have. You're supposed to die before then, but she was stubborn and. Uh, but she was one of those classic Christian grandmas with cancer, if that makes any sense. Don't it seem like they're always like so confident and full of faith? I don't know how that works. I don't know how the cancer patient has more faith than the family of the patient, but that was the thing that was happening. You know what I'm saying? We're all like crying for her, worried for her, and then she won't return the favor. And we're like, what's going on? (laughs) You've got cancer, not me, you know? And that's just how she was. She was rooted in heaven. And you can say you're rooted in heaven, but cancer kind of tells you the truth. You know, when you know you're dying, that's when you know the truth of it all. And so when she got it, the truth was revealed. She had hope in heaven. And it didn't make chemo feel good. And it didn't make the thought of losing her family feel good. But it did make her have a lot of hope in Jesus. And I remember being at her funeral, actually the visitation first. And so many people coming by sharing how Granny Sue always called him. Told her they were praying for him, trying to get him to go to church, trying to get him to follow Jesus, all this stuff. And we didn't even know she was doing that. She's sneaky like that. Insane. Little journal, all these names written down. And I remember preaching her funeral. And I remember I, I, I just it stinks when you lose somebody. It's awful, man. She never met Leah. She's not going to meet my kids, and I thought all that would happen, you know? And I loved her so much. And so like I, would, I was crying, like tears of sadness. You know, I'm, I'm devastated. My grandma died and death is awful. But guys, I couldn't escape this next part. The whole time there was joy in my heart because I knew if Jesus was like, hey, your family's pretty upset. You want to go back? I knew she'd say no to Jesus. She's like, nah, they'll get it when they get here. <laughs> they won't judge me for it. Once they get here, I promise you, they wouldn't want to go back either. I'm going I'm to chill here. Not that Jesus is going to make that offer. That'd be super weird, but... It'd be a really weird (laughs) negotiation in heaven. Feels like they have other stuff to do. Um, Man, that's how sorrow and joy came together in my life. It was when I'm heartbroken about death. I'm heartbroken about death. But also like my grandma fought her whole life to root her soul in the presence of God. And she got her reward. And cancer was worth it. And her losing her 16-year-old daughter in a car accident was worth it because now her and her daughter are worshiping Jesus together. In the billion years, they'll still be doing that. And all this, no one will know what the ruby is. But my grandma and her daughter, Terry, will be worshiping together. And look, death is really sensitive. So if that's not how you've processed the death of a loved one, please hear me saying this. That's okay. That's where I want to be careful talking about death. It's very emotional. It's very heavy. So I don't want to manipulate this moment. But I couldn't get past it. That's where I saw sorrow and joy come together in my own life. This is what happens when you're sure that when I draw my last breath, my more permanent reality starts. My more permanent reality is life with a perfect God where he has fully bestowed his righteousness on my soul. How does this shape us now? How does this wanna interrupt your life and get deep within your soul and I don't want to be trite and give you like a three step plan to processing the joy of the Lord. But I would really encourage you sit with God, address your belief or lack of it, talk to him about it. I would really encourage you to pray to God and ask him Lord, will you lead me in the way of true joy that really believes in what you've done and what you're going to do? And will you help that be my anchor point? That life circumstances, that even death can't touch it. And in the spirit of Advent, maybe take some time this week to look back and celebrate. Celebrate the coming of Jesus. Go read the birth story. Go read a gospel this week. Read it over Christmas break and just celebrate what God has done he is a promise fulfiller. He has done it. Look at the life of Jesus. Think about salvation and then maybe get a little closer to history. Like think about yourself. Think about your own story. Where have you seen God prove himself in your life? Where have you had the Holy Spirit speak a different language to your soul that no man or woman can speak to you? And you know that was God. You know it. Sit there and celebrate it. And as you celebrate it, ask God, God may what you've done Puff my chest out like the Israelites leave in Egypt. May what you've done give me confidence, hope. May it change how I talk. May it change how I wait in the Chipotle line. While it, may it change how I make these work calls. May it change how I argue with my spouse. May it change what many of my friends do on Friday nights. God, will you take what you've done and totally transform how I live into the future? Because one day I will, for a fact, without doubt, see you face to face. And so my invitation to you this week over Christmas break, dig deeper into the joy of the Lord. Ask God, God, lead me. Show me what joy is. Show me what a life looks like when it is rooted in heaven. When it knows that death is not the end, that all of us will see God face to face. And that's the best news ever for those that belong to Jesus. This is incredible news. I mean, think about, I don't want to go on too much of a tangent. Think about what that does to your view of your own death. Death is no longer a threat. All of a sudden, Paul makes sense. What does he say about death? To die is what? To die is gain. To die is a promotion. To die is improving my life. That doesn't even make sense. That's what happens when you know Jesus has your soul. All right, so we're gonna go to communion. I don't know how to end this one. I I wanna keep preaching, Um, I'm not going to. Let's go to communion. And when we take communion together, it is such a symbol of joy. It remembers what Jesus has done. The bread, his body broken for us, the cup, his blood spilled for us. So we take communion going, because of your sacrifice, I get to take on your righteousness. And because of your righteousness, I get to look at the future and the end of my life with joy in my heart. And it changes how I live today. So I'm gonna invite us to stand right now as a church and we're gonna take it together. So you can go grab communion. We've got tables in these three corners of the room. Go grab communion.